The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. I appreciate you guys always joining in. And uh, tonight we have a little bit different show, a special show. Typically, my friend and co-host Sterling Holmes is here. He's on a little bit of a summer road trip. Uh, but tonight we're joined by none other than former Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver J.J. Burden. Uh, I remember a lot of my own early days, uh, like growing up on the Chiefs myself, Christian Okoye was like the first wave of Chiefs that I would watch. Um, and then uh, Joe Montana, J.J. Burden, that whole like Schottenheimer era was, was such a golden era to watch. So we're thrilled to have him on board. I know a lot of you are excited to hear about what he's up to. We'll get to that soon enough, but just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Casey Beer, who make this show possible. Uh, I'm actually drinking the Hefeweizen right now to cool down in these crazy hot summer days. This is a great way to end your day. You could go even earlier if you want. Uh, I love to have a Vise in such an easy drink. For those of you who don't know, KC Beer is uh, locally brewed. They use the four German purity laws that go back to 1517, which it's even hard to get a handle on just how long ago that is. But that means they only use four ingredients. That's barley, malt, water, and yeast to make everything. And it's all delicious. We're happy to be sponsored by them. We're, we're just like, we would drink it anyway. We all love it. Sterling, myself, Patrick Allen, and Matt Verderam. Um, so yeah, if you are out there, see the red carton at your local grocery store. If you check out the brewery, let them know that you that uh, you appreciate their support of our podcast. Give them a shout on Twitter. And uh, yeah, love KC Beer. Anyway, without any further ado, I've, JJ uh, Burden is already here and and on. Uh, let's bring him in. Uh, JJ, how are you doing today? You're you're Pacific Coast, right? So you're a couple hours behind. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Arizona, and we're on a uh, we can, half of the year we're on Mountain Standard Time, half the year we're on Pacific Time. So right now we're Pacific. So <laughs> good to see you, Matt. Yeah, you too, you too, JJ. Um, hey, you know, obviously there's a lot that I'd like I'd like to kind of talk about. I'd like to do some reflecting. I'd like to hear even about you know what you think of the present Chiefs. But I'd love to start just with you and and where you're at, what you're doing these days. Uh, it seems like you have maybe a couple ventures going on. I, but first, let me start here how tuned in are you to the nfl in general year by year after all these years i'd say at this point i'm pretty in tune with the nfl i'm a, I'm a big fan now so i you, you kind of go through that period and when your career's over you don't wa- don't want to watch any football you're tired of watching football you watched enough film and then you later on you start appreciating what you used to do and then you become a fan and so i'm a I stay pretty close to what's happening in the NFL. How, wait, how long did that period last for you, by the way? It lasted about six years for me. I mean, I literally did not watch a football game for six years. I might have watched the Super Bowl, but I was mentally exhausted. Because think about it, you know, nine years in the NFL, you watch more film than you could ever imagine. You're just constantly <laughs> watching film 
during the day, after practice, you take film home, and I just did not want to see a game whatsoever. But but then later on, you know, Matt, it's like then you it clicks one day and you're like, man, I used to be in the NFL. You know, that's pretty cool. And then you start really appreciating it as a fan and as a former player, too. The way you said that, it sounds like that's a common thing among players. Have you heard that? from, from Absolutely. Our- Absolutely. And I know of guys that held out a lot longer than five or six years. I mean, I know some guys that still don't want to watch football. <laughs> Uh, by the way, do you like when did you come back around, or was there something that made you want to come back around? I think it was no. I think I retired in '97, so I probably did not watch a game until like 2002. And I think it was when one of the Super Bowl games, uh, I got invited to a Super Bowl party, and everybody was just so into it. And then, like one day, I was like, I used to do that stuff, you know. I, I used to do that, you know. And so I think it just slowly because you don't realize how unique and how hard it is to make it to the NFL and then let alone stay there for nine years when the average NFL player's career now is less than two years. And I think it just kind of started to click that what I used to do was pretty unique and be able to play as long as I did was something pretty special to be proud of, you know? Let's talk about that for a second because you're just giving me a natural segue there because for a lot of guys, it seems like the dream is, I mean, I'll even talk to players or, or college prospects at times and they'll say, oh yeah, I knew when I was four, I knew when I was six that, you know, that like a lifelong dream to play in the NFL. But for you, it was track first. I mean, like, like, like it it wasn't exactly like the lifelong pursuit of NFL. It it was kind of a circuitous route, if you will, or, or like to get there like, like, uh, can you can you go back to that? And I mean, do you remember the first time you thought, I guess I could play in the NFL when you were pursuing track at Oregon? Well, I think you make a great point because I'm kind of unique in that way. I am the one who never dreamed of playing the NFL, never wanted to play in the NFL. It was never goal. It was never something I thought of. I was like you said, I was a track and field athlete. I love running and jumping and hurdling. I think when I, but when I saw the Pittsburgh Steelers, Len Swan diving and making these acrobatic catches, I thought I could do that. And that was really what kind of sparked the bug to be a wide receiver. And I didn't really even start playing until my 10th year. I was a 10th grader in high school, but it was more just something to do to complement track, something yeah. to do during the fall. And I can remember Matt, when my uncle, um, my uncle, Mr. Uncle Sonny, my senior year in high school, I had scored like four touchdowns in, in the first quarter or first half of the game. And after the game, he goes, you're going to play in the NFL someday. And that was the first time someone mentioned my name in the NFL in the same sentence. And I was like, what? Are you crazy? I'm like, I play in the NFL. He goes, no, you were going to play. And I go, no, they're too big and I don't really want to play. And then he made me promise to give him my first NFL touchdown. I thought he was crazy, but I made the promise. <laughs> You held up your end of the bargain? I sure did. I can tell you the date, October 19, 1990. I'm with the Chiefs playing at the Seattle Kingdom. My whole family's there because they're from Portland, and I scored my first touchdown. And you know who was there? My uncle was there, and I gave him the ball after the um, after the game. But I learned a really cool lesson because I did ask him. I said, Uncle, how did you know when I was 17 years old I played in the NFL? And he said, I knew you had the athletic ability, said, but you didn't believe in yourself. So he said, I needed to pour belief into you until you got your belief where it needed to be. And then you go all the way. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day that it is good to have mentors and people that believe in you. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It, it seems like size was always the issue. You know, you went in the eighth round of the draft, which now doesn't even, you know, the draft has been shortened since since then. Did you, like, do you remember just hearing that over and over again in in maybe scouting processes or coaches that, that that would keep you from being able to succeed at the highest level? Absolutely. I heard you're too short, you're too small, you're too light throughout my life. I mean, I heard it in high school and then I heard it going into college and that was really always the motivation. It was like, oh, really? I'll prove you wrong. Hmm. You know, oh, really? I'll prove you wrong. And I kind of had that, that mentality that Everyone saw me as an underdog, but I didn't think I was an was an underdog. And I might have had maybe the the work ethic of an underdog, but the champion's mindset. And I was just out there trying to prove people wrong. So when I got to college, and I don't know if you know this, but I didn't have very impressive college stats. I had one touchdown at Oregon for four years. I had 19 catches my senior year, 21 catches my junior year. Three catches my freshman and sophomore year. So from a statistical standpoint, I'm thinking like, there's no way I'm going to play in the NFL. Everybody says I'm too small. But I think what really started opening my eyes, Matt, was when I got an invitation to the NFL Combine. And I remember getting that invitation thinking like, what is the NFL Combine? What is this? You know, why, why am I getting this letter? You know, and but I got to go and they invite the top athletes and there were 45 wide receivers there, all the best in the country. And I went to that moment of why am I here? There's Tim Brown over there. There's Sterling Sharp over there. There's, you know, all these great wide receivers. But I got to kind of measure myself against these athletes. And that's kind of what I thought, well, maybe, but I don't know, you know, so, but that was kind of when the seed was starting to be planted. But like you mentioned earlier, I went to Oregon on a track scholarship. So all I was thinking about making the Olympic team in a long jump, that was really my focus. How far did you get down that dream, by the way? Like, did you ever go toward trials? And Yeah, so my junior year, I won Pac-10s, and then I qualified for nationals. I was an All-American my junior year. So going into my senior year, that was supposed to be the big year. That was the year that I'd win Pac-10s or Pac-12s now, but I win nationals and then I qualify for the Olympic trials. And that's what happened. I qualify for the 88 Olympic trials and I only competed in four meets. So I didn't even get to really compete the rest of the season where I would have jumped much farther. But suddenly I get this call from the Cleveland Browns, Marty Schottenheimer, that I've drafted in the NFL draft. And I was just like, wait a minute, who is this? I, I didn't even know who Marty was. And I'm like, is this some kind of joke? I mean, it just kind of shows you how far the NFL was really on my mind at that point. Nine years. I mean, do you do you credit your longevity to something in particular? Is it is it determination? Is it like is it is it mindset, physical preparedness, film study? Is it all that? It's all of the above. It is really all of the above because I didn't have the most auspicious start. I tore up my ACL ligament in minicamp for the Browns. I'm on IR the first year. And I really believe, Matt, that was a blessing in disguise for me because I didn't think I could play in the NFL, even when I got drafted. But sitting on injury reserve that first year for the Browns, no pressure, 
watching and learning, that's when I it clicked and said, you know what, I could play in the NFL if I really focus on that. And that's kind of really when I started working to it. But once I made the team with the Chiefs, then it was this mindset of how can I be better than I was the day before? How can I improve this year? I was on this constant journey of getting better and improving. And it was learning from other players. It was studying film. It was practicing. It was it was never getting complacent because making it to the NFL is hard, but staying in the NFL is even harder. And I was thinking it was just always that drive every day to get better as a, as a wide receiver and never take it for granted. Man. You mentioned you didn't know who Marty was. Then you played for him for several years. Looking back now, you know, Marty as this sort of story legendary coach, like how was he, how was it playing for him? Do you have like, do you have a favorite anecdote of like, oh, here's the, here's the, here's my favorite story of, of, of playing for a coach like Marty? Okay. Here's what I got a couple stories, but here's my favorite story. And I think I just shared this on TikTok. Some time ago, no, but not too many people heard the story. But like you said, Marty drafted me in Cleveland, and then he gets fired and goes to Kansas City. They tried to pick me up that next year, but I ended up signing it with the Cowboys and went to their practice squad. But once I, the season was over, Marty was the first coach to call me. And I felt Marty would give me the, the fairest opportunity to make the team. Plus, I knew the Chiefs could use my speed that year, too. So anyway, so I go through camp. I had this great offseason. I have a great camp. I'm like, I know I'm on the team, but they had drafted Freddie Jones. And I kind of knew that Freddie probably was going to be on the team because he was a draft choice. So they ended up cutting me. But Marty calls me to his office and he says, hey, kid, you're going to be on this team. You deserve to be on the team. I just need you to hold up for two weeks. Give me two weeks and I'll have you. You'll be on the team. So I go back to my apartment. I just got married. Uh, my wife, we found out I was pregnant. So we got a honeymoon baby on the way. I don't, I don't have much money at this point. So I wait two weeks. And then the, the second week, they haven't signed me yet. So I call Marty that week and I say, hey, Marty, I need a job. I got teams calling me. I promise I'll give you two weeks. I don't have any hardly any money. My wife is pregnant. And Marty says, come to my office. So I drive to Arrowhead. I go to his office and Marty goes, come here. He comes up. I go in his office. He takes out his wallet. He whips out $200 and he gives me $200. He says, will this get you through the weekend? I go, yes. He goes, take your wife out for dinner. So I take my wife out for dinner. The Chiefs, I forgot who they played, but they ended up cutting Pete Manley. They call me Monday. I get signed and kind of the rest is history after that. So I just never forgot that because Marty was, you know, he he really believed in me. And maybe the circumstances wasn't right at first, but he made sure he held true to his promise. Wow. Wow. That's a great story, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's probably inside of Marty that a lot of people don't know, you know, because yeah. you see the you see the hard exterior, the tough guy on TV and the sidelines, but Marty had a great heart and he, you know, he really, he really wanted the best for if you if you came to work and you did your job and you were consistent, I mean, you're one of Marty's guys. And I, I consider myself one of Marty's guys. Man. By the way, it seems like you've had a running theme of key people at time, believing in you at at key moments to sort of propel you to that to that next level. That's pretty cool how that's played out for you. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's something I've even to this day, I've always tried to embrace whether it's mentors, whether it's coaches, whether it's someone that I can learn something from. And that third year, if you think about this, Matt, 
I've been credited two years, and now I'm going to my third year, and I haven't really played. And I knew how critical that third year was because if you don't make it by your third year, you get labeled and you don't get any more shots. And there are about four teams after me, but I knew that Marty was the smart choice. I knew he was going to give me the best opportunity. And the Chiefs was a great fit because they had, you know, Stefan Page, they had Pete Mantley, they had um, Emil Harry and Rob Thomas, all good receivers, but nobody was running 4-3. <laughs> and I knew they needed that speed. Like you mentioned Marty giving you that chance to like, like really play forward. And it's interesting then to hear you say this because it took some time, but then, you know, it took a few years, but then you were entrenched as a starter you know, getting those getting those reps and and whatnot. Can you talk about the competition it takes to climb? Like, okay, once you're there, okay, once you're in. But you said how rare it is for a guy in his third year who hasn't broke out. But for you, it was like year five and six that really like that was like a, a late. I don't know if you do you call it a late bloomer. Like, like how was that for you? Can can you take us inside that? Yeah, it was it was quite a journey, and I think for me, I always had this approach of having this kind of like a long-term vision with a long-term commitment. And I knew that once I made the team, that was just the beginning of it. And I think sometimes when a player makes an NFL roster, they tend to get complacent, they get comfortable. And these are the ones that end up getting replaced. And so when I got made the team in 90, I was the fourth, fifth receiver. I was catching all these long passes and I thought, okay, 91, this is gonna be my year. But like you said, it didn't happen like that. I didn't play very much the first couple of games. But I tell you, Matt, I had this approach. I said, you know what? I might not be playing right now, but I'm on the team. And every day I'm coming to practice and it's my game day. I'm going to treat practice like it's my game day. I'm going to get the defense better. I said, but I'm going to get better every day so that when they're watching film, when we go home, I said, the coaches are going to be talking about me in those film sessions. And that was really my mindset. And Matt, Every day I came to work, I worked hard, I did what I needed to do, and I got better. But it took some time. Nobody really said much, but I knew that they were recognizing the growth I was showing. But finally, the very last game of the season, that 91 season, Al Saunders comes up to me and says, you know what, you've had a great year of practice. And the coaching staff feels you should play more against the Raiders so take advantage of it. And we played the Raiders. I had eight catches, 188 yards, two touchdowns of 57 yards and 52 yards. And that was kind of the breakout moment because the very next, when the offseason came, Marty calls me into his office and he goes, how would you like to be a starter in the NFL? And I'm like, what? I'm just <laughs> trying to make the roster. I'm just trying to stay on the team. But that was the beginning of, like you said, that was the beginning of really becoming more of a, a key component in the Chiefs offense and becoming a starter. And um, I think it just really had to do with never giving up, never quitting, always doing what you need to do and being prepared when I got my opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And that was like, that was your career best game ever, right? Like that would, that would set your highs. You had a couple of two touchdown games, but yardage wise, that was, that was the ultimate performance in terms of game. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That was the only game in my career where they really fed me the ball. You know, when you talk about athletes, when they say they're in the zone, that was that game. I think they threw me the ball like nine or times and I caught eight or something, but Unfortunately, I never had a real game like that where they just fed me, fed me, fed me. But that was an exciting game because I tell you, I could not do anything wrong that day. It just 
it was just it was pretty epic <laughs> that was that was that extra special coming against the raiders um yeah because it made marty happy because marty hated the raiders <laughs> marty hated the raiders and, and you know what's interesting is that you realize you've gained some respect because when i in that game i'll have to admit the raiders didn't know who i was so they had their fourth cornerback on me and I was just killing him. Yeah. And so the next year, when I became a starter, they put their number one corner, Terry McDaniel, and he followed me everywhere. So I think that I, I, um, I gained a little respect from the Raiders after that game. Oh, that's great. That's great. JJ, I want to talk uh, a little Joe Montana because it seems like the Chiefs have their own, like there's another magical quarterback at the helm right now. You played with one. Chiefs Kingdom hasn't exactly been blessed with a lot of, you know, elite quarterback play in in their years of play. Like watching, being around Joe, playing, like catching passes from Joe. You also caught passes from Steve DeBerg, some other good quarterbacks. It's not like, it's not like there were bad quarterbacks. So, but like, could you tell in that moment how much of another level he was on that you were playing with with a guy who would be equated with like legendary status? Like like what was that what was that like being a part of an offense with Joe Montana and and how aware were you at the time of of maybe the unique and special nature of that? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I played with some really good quarterbacks. I mean, Steve DeBerg, we had some good years and some good yeah. games. Even Dave Craig, you know, they all they both took us to the playoffs. But I didn't realize how amazing Joe Montana was until the very first practice. The very first practice. Because, you know, I'm like everyone else. You're like, that's Joe Montana. I'm going to huddle with Joe Montana. And there's Marcus Allen. So you're like this kid for a second. But, Matt, the very first play in practice we called with joe montana i can remember the energy we were indoors and everybody's kind of excited there's this new offense and they call x hook so i'm x it's 12 yards you turn around so i'm getting joe's first pass in practice as a chief so i i get on the line and i line up and i run 10 yards and i plant and boom he hits me in the back of the head with the football I've been a wide receiver for many years. I've run the hook route. No quarterback had ever did that. And I look at him like, and I look at Willie Davis and Joe comes out and he goes, come here, JJ, and come here, Willie. And he says, okay, I want you to understand something. I've already read the defense. I know where the hole is. I throw the ball before you get there. So you got to get your head around faster and be ready to catch the ball quicker. And just that little critique there told me that, Oh, yeah, you're playing with a whole different level of a quarterback. Yeah. But it was such little things like that that continued on that made me better, that made the offense better, that we knew that here's a guy that's playing that's one of the best of the best. We all have to step up our game. And I think that next to the fact that the difference between Joe and like a Berg and like a Craig was that towards the end of the game, when the game was on the line, you knew – with Joe Montana, there's a very high chance you're going to win because he's been there, done that. And I think that was the biggest difference was the confidence level that we knew, okay, we're going to win this ball game if we got the ball last, as long as we do our job. And that was evident, you know, the, the two years we played with Joe. Um, but it really impressed me. His leadership was very contagious. He lifted us all up. But I would say this. I was more impressed with the simple fact that even though Joe was very successful, 14 years, four Super Bowls, Joe came in and he studied like a rookie. He prepared like a veteran 
and he led like a professional. He was the consummate leader and it was just so great to be able to play with him. That's great. You went on to play a few more years for Atlanta. Was it hard to leave Casey? Oh man, it was it was so hard to leave Kansas City. I and and I didn't want to leave, you know, and and you have to understand this was the first time I was an unrestricted free agent because I had kind of bounced around early. I was never really an un, I was never an unrestricted free agent with leverage. You know, someone when the Chiefs signed me the second or third year, I was a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I remember, <laughs> I remember going to Carl Peterson and Carl Peterson was like, well, we want to sign this. I said, well, Carl, I'm a restricted free agent. He goes, so what? I go, I want to see what else is out there, what I'm worth. And he got really mad. He goes, okay, right, go prove me wrong. And I remember I went to Seattle, the Saints, and I went to the Eagles. And the Eagles offered me a pretty good contract, better than what I was making. And I came back to Kansas City. I'm thinking, like, please match it. Please match it. Please match it. And Paul goes, I guess I should be mad at you. He said, but you did exactly what I told you to do, and you proved me wrong, so we're going to match it. So they matched it. So I was so excited. I was staying at you. But the second time, I was an unrestricted free agent. So it was kind of my time to maybe make a little bit more income, but with the hopes that Chiefs would match whatever was out there. And Chicago and Atlanta was really after me hard. I accepted the Falcons' offer. And not all free agents do this, but once I signed that contract, I went back to Kansas City and I said, hey, can you guys just match this? If you match this, I will stay here. You come closer, I will stay here. And Carl goes, that's just more we want more than we want to play pay. And mm-hmm. so that was why I left Kansas City. I really did not want to. I wanted to stay there, but you know, I got experience in the business side. You know, business is business, you know? Yeah, yeah. How how did you um how did you know when to finally walk away from the game? Well, that last year in Atlanta, it's <laughs> let me just say this. Going to the Atlanta Falcons was really not the best decision for me. I probably should have went to Chicago, and I'll tell you why, because I really wanted to be in the run-and-shoot offense that the Falcons were running, but I'm late in my career, and that offense was unbelievable. We just ran streaks all day long, and I ended up pulling my hamstring a couple times. It didn't work out well, but that last year, one day, you know, I kind of thought, you know, I got to play. I'm into my ninth year in the NFL. I never thought I'd ever ever play. I'm qualified as a vested player. I've made a little bit of money and I, and I do want to transition to life after the game. And so I just, I always had the goal that I didn't want to be one of those guys that, that just couldn't give it up. They didn't need know how to walk away. And I wanted to walk away on my own terms. And, and that's what I did. And I was ready to, you know, live that second life with my family and, 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 you know, get in some business ventures and do the things I do today. Yeah. Well, uh, JJ, we'd love to hear about those. First of all, you you know you mentioned earlier honeymoon baby having a honeymoon baby, and then Carl Peterson giving you two hundred dollars to get through the weekend. Um, but you have a few biological children, but also f- five adopted children. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We like you said, we have three biological children. In two thousand seven, I got a call from my nieces and nephews in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there were some problems going on out there with my sister and brother-in-law. So I flew out to Tulsa the next day. And then 24 hours later after that, I'm in a courthouse standing before a judge and they're like, Mr. Burden, we're going to take your five nieces and nephews and place them in five separate foster homes. You're the next of kin. So what would you like to do? And yeah, you want to talk about having to make a decision that's going to immediately impact so many different lives. But I did what any smart husband would do. I was like, judge, let me call my wife first. (laughs) And, uh, 
uh, after a quick conversation, my wife, Rain and I, we, we decided to take them in and we raised all eight of them. And the youngest one moved out a year and a half ago. So we're finally now empty nesters. Wow. Wow. Was it like after the NFL, was it nice to go in, in, into like being full, like family man with, without having the demands of the NFL schedule? And Yeah, definitely. It really was. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't make the kind of income the guys made today. I mean, I still needed to work and provide an income. But it was very nice because one of the things about the NFL that I say is really the hardest, it's not the physical part at all. It's really the mental pressure. It's the pressure to perform at your best all the time. And that really can take its toll on you mentally. And understand this, even when I became a starter in Kansas City, they were always trying to replace me with a tall Jerry Rice clone. They would bring a tall wide receiver in every year. So I was constantly having to prove that I deserved to be there. But it was nice to like walk away from that pressure because there's so many things in the NFL you can't control. There's elements that are out of your control. All you can do is show up, do your job, do your best and uh and save your money <laughs> save your money hey jj we love to hear like what do you so what are you up to today uh i know i know that you have um i know that you that you're actually a, like a motivational speaker and and go to various places and and do that but like what else is it, what else, what other creative plates are you spinning yeah I've, um well now i've done did a couple of things right after my career to kind of figure it out where, where i wanted to do i've been a a health and wellness um, associate with a company called Isogenics. It's an online health and wellness business. I've done that for 15 years, all in the health and all that. But like you mentioned, I became a um, professional speaker about seven years ago, which I really love because I do a lot of corporate motivational speaking because it's allowed me to use this platform to teach others from my journey, you know, because like I said, what we did was very unique, but Matt, I've been doing my homework and there hasn't been an NFL player in the last 32, 35 years who played longer than me that weighed under 160 pounds, you know? So I'm in a very unique category, but it's allowed me to take this message of being an underdog and dealing with adversity and really helping the corporate world and other people achieve their goals as a speaker. So I really love what I get to do because, um, I'm not just a coach where I can only work with one group. I'm be I'm able to impact many many lives with what I do. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Also, why why Phoenix or why Arizona as a home? <laughs> why Phoenix? So when I retired, we moved back to Oregon. We're from Portland, Oregon. That's where my wife Rana and my family is, and we wanted to appease the family. And after six months or six years. Portland rains a lot. And um, I thought, okay, babe, let's go where the sun is. And every time I played in the NFL, and this is what's really cool. Whenever I played in San Diego, Phoenix, Florida, I would pick these hot areas. I thought one day I want to live in one of these towns. And so that's why we chose uh, Phoenix area. Nice. So I, I want to talk a little bit of just about the current Chiefs here to wrap things up. But first of all, what's the, what's the community like for ex-Chiefs? players i mean do you have a pretty good i guess i want to use the word rolodex but that's a dated reference right but but like i mean how 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 much do you talk to former teammates and maybe alumni of of, of arrowhead in general yeah there's there's a group of guys i still communicate via text a lot of us wide receivers like willie davis and 
Lake Dawson, uh, Chris Penn, um, Tim Barnett, Freddie Jones. There's a couple guys. We'll just kind of communicate through text throughout the year. And then obviously social media has really facilitated the process of really communicating with all your former players. But I haven't, I believe that the Chiefs do a really good job with their alumni events. Uh, every year they have what they call the Chiefs Legends and they invite us back for a game and a weekend. And that's always a nice opportunity to connect with not only the players, but also be part of the Chiefs community and feel that you're still part of the Chiefs organization. And they always make it clear that we had some kind of impact or we played some kind of role in the success of the Chiefs today. So I try to do my best to stay connected with a lot of the guys. And this is a great story. I'm glad you asked me that because last week I was in Dallas visiting my dad and I walk into this restaurant and I see Alf, um, oh, what's his name? Alfredo um, Roberts. Remember Alfredo Roberts? He was a tight end for the Chiefs. I haven't seen him since 1992 when I see him in the restaurant, you know, so it's really cool when you get to connect with former players and, and just kind of share stories and just see how each, each one of us are doing. Oh, that's great. That's great. By the way, JJ, um, one of our commenters here, Cole asks, have you ever considered getting into coaching? Oh man, I've been getting that question a lot. I do a lot of TikToks. If you guys are following me on TikToks, I'm sharing all these NFL stories and everybody's asked me, why aren't you coaching? Why aren't you commentating? So here's the deal. When I retired, I did want to coach. I really did. And initially I dabbled in some high school. I did some football and I did some camps and I did some private training, but I realized two things. One is I didn't like that when you coach in high school, you can only coach one group and all the coaches would get mad because I was coaching all these other players in the city. The also thing, the other thing was I knew that if I wanted to coach, I wanted to coach at the highest level. I wanted to coach at the NFL level because I've, I've been there. I know what it's like, but Coaches have no home life. And I thought, can I really do that to my family again and just be 24-7 football? So that was the reason why I did not go into coaching because of that. But I tell you what, every time I watch a game, I feel like I'm coaching. I feel like I'm critiquing. I'm always thinking like, man, I could have done that, you know. So, but um, like I mentioned earlier, I love what I do now because I get to coach everybody. Yeah. Hey, uh, so the current Chiefs. How much are you how much are you paying attention to like let's say this offseason of moves letting letting Tyron walk trading Tyreek signing Juju signing I mean like are, like are you are you do you pay particular attention to that or or do you kind of keep a, an arm's length from from maybe paying close attention Yeah I do I pay attention to it I like I have been I'd say 80% I pretty much know what's going on for the most part um, I was definitely paying attention when Tyreek left. Um, obviously, I'm looking at the wide receivers they have with now Juju and what was the other guy's name, McQuez or um, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm looking at these guys. And but the thing that I really love, though, I love the fact that the Chiefs have a they have a winning philosophy. They have a winning attitude. They have a winning approach. So I'm not so panic. I'm not in a panic mode because Tariq is leaving. Now, granted, let me just say this. Tariq is a very unique weapon. I have never seen a weapon like him with the speed, the quickness, the explosion. He's very unique, and he'll be hard to replace. But when you have a great quarterback like Mahomes, think about Montana. 
Think about Elway. Think about Marino. Think about, you know, Farr. Great quarterbacks still make great offenses, you know. So I'm not too worried. And I know that with the guys they have, with the coaching philosophy and the quarterback who Patrick Mahomes is going to continue to get better, guys. He's still young. He's still learning. You know, I think the Chiefs will be fine. Yeah, when you watch Mahomes, are there any flashes of watching Joe in a way? Or, or, do, you, or do, you, do you feel like you see some similarities or, or some, you know, watching him going, there's some there's there's some some of the same greatness here that, that separates, like, the best from even their good contemporaries. Yes, I'm starting to see more of that. I didn't see much of that the first couple of years. I mean, he's just such a unique athlete. There's so many things he can do, probably even better than Montana. But you're starting to see the maturity and his ability to read defenses, to adapt to defenses, what they're doing in the first half. But he has that Joe Montana, that killer instinct at the end of the game where you know that if he has the ball, he's going to lead them down the field. And that's what you want in a quarterback. You want to have a leader who has that ability to lead you to victory at the end. And Patrick Mahomes has that. But And I'll say this again, and everyone's got to understand this. He's still getting better. <laughs> he's still learning. The, the quarterback's learning curve, it lasts for years and years and years. I mean, he's just – if he stays healthy, he's going to get better and better and better. So I don't think we've seen the best of Patrick Mahomes yet. It's a scary proposition for the rest of the NFL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> JJ, one more for you as we uh, as we head out. If you're if you're into this current roster, there's a little bit of a youth movement there. Do you think the Super Bowl window is still wide open for the Chiefs in 22, or do you think this is going to be a little bit of an adjustment year and and laying a foundation for the future? Well, I definitely think there's going to be an adjustment because you have some new key uh, players, but I don't think that adjustment is going to be very long. And I definitely think um, we can still think that this roster has the capability of getting to the Super Bowl. And and the key is, I like that they're paying attention to defense. They're trying to get some key defensive players in there, but also to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, think about this. Think about the great quarterbacks. Whenever you have a great quarterback, you're always in the playoffs. You always have a chance to get to the big dance. And as long as we have Patrick, as long as they keep making the right, um, putting the right uh, offensive schemes together, we got a shot every year. Well, JJ, we're just so thankful for your time. Thanks so much for, for dropping in. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about where people can can find you, follow you? Yes. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys about my book. This is my first book I wrote five years ago called When Opportunity Knocks, Eight Sure Fire Ways to Take Advantage. You go to my website. You can order it. I sign them all there. This is for everyone. It's really about seizing the opportunities and goals that, that come your way. And um, next year, I'm going to be starting book number two, which is probably going to be an autobiography. So I'm, I'm really excited about that because I can share some of these stories and also share some lessons along the way, too. Oh, that's great. Well, all the best to you, JJ. Appreciate your time. And uh, and thanks for like sharing all those stories and, and great memories. It's great to catch up. Yeah, thank you, Matt. I appreciate you. And shout out to all the Chiefs fans. Looking forward to this season. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All the best. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, this is Matt Connor with Arrowhead Addict uh, signing off for another show. Appreciate JJ uh, for joining us. You can follow him at JJ Burden on Twitter. He also mentioned he's got a real active TikTok. So um, 
he's back to that and, or he's, he's into that and, and now sharing some great stories there. Got to check that out myself and get into it. Uh, Sterling will be back with me, hopefully, next week when he's back from his massive summer road trip. Uh, on Thursday, Matt Verderam and Patrick Allen will carry the show, and um, we're really gearing up for training camp, by the way, folks. We also might have some Orlando Brown news by that time. So until Thursday, we'll see you then. Uh, but in, yeah, until then, go Chiefs, and uh, thanks for listening. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.